You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Well, that's nice. Hi, and welcome to the episode of Just oh, Riding. I didn't know we were recording. <laughs> uh, Just Riding Along, brought to you by ProGold, ScroGuard, and ProGold again. Um, you will just have to Google that to figure out what it is. No, you don't have to Google it. It's ScroGuard.com. Oh, okay. Don't go there on your work computer. I mean, you could, but depends on where you work. Anyway, um, tonight we have a jam-packed episode. Not really, but um, we're going to talk a little bit about adventure racing. Uh, we have a couple of questions. Did we have any email questions? I, I feel like we had email questions from earlier last week. I, I kind of answered them, but they're really good answers. Uh, yeah, like that's <laughs> you've been answering our email questions before <laughs> we, before we get like, to the show. That was like the most dick thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Really? That's the most dick thing you've ever heard Matt say? I'm yeah, never. <laughs> Out of all the things that Matt has said, Matt's the most dick thing that he's oh, ever Matt said. Seems, Matt seems like a nice guy. <laughs> um, um, oh yeah, I want to talk about Satan's armadillo. Well, I was going to give you something, but I can't find it offhand right now. That's okay. I can start by um, doing a little adventure race rundown while you look for emails. Because, yeah, we did get a... I remember now, we got a couple of emails and you answered the questions really well. Um, But we should put those out to the whole JRA audience. Um, Anyway, so, uh, yeah, adventure racing. I went out... um, If you look at my blog, Brickhouse Racing, you can see a full report. Um, But... It boils down to a couple of uh, Just Riding Along listeners needed a female teammate for the U.S. Adventure Race Nationals and contacted me back at the end of July, beginning of August area, and asked if I would like to do um, the race with them, and that happened over the weekend, and it was really cool. Um, We started Friday morning. Uh, the race started at 8 a.m. and went through 2 p.m. on Saturday. So um, throughout that time, we were running and we were riding bikes and we were paddling canoes. Uh, we floated down a whitewater run with a boogie board, <laughs> boogie board. <laughs> which um, actually, when you first look at the rapids that were there, it was a little bit scary. But um, it was a concrete bottom that was actually at the deepest about neck deep on me. But most of the way around was about waist to chest deep on me. So it was rapids, but it was not really um, other than the fact that it would occasionally like slap you in the face and hold you under for a second or two. It really wasn't that bad. Um, What did you find it? I found both of the emails, by the way. Both of the emails. No, you didn't find the email that was sent to me because it wasn't sent to you. I see all of your emails. Um, (laughs) But no, I did not. Um, I just wanted to go over, if you want to see the whole story about the adventure race and, you know, see exactly what it was we did and all the fun photos and maps and stuff like that, you can definitely go to my blog and read about it. Um, There it is. Okay, um, but I just wanted to give a little, um, just kind of advice, like some stuff that I saw as far as people doing adventure races and their bikes and stuff that they should really kind of look into, stuff to avoid. Uh, it seems like for a lot of people participating in adventure races that the mountain bike part is just kind of like... They just see it as, I need to get something that I can use for the mountain bike portion of this. Um, And depending on, I guess, your area and the races that you go to and whatever, I know they're all a little bit different and all are a little bit different as far as the demands they put on your equipment. But I saw some pretty, I guess what you'd say is like, if these bikes came in the shop, you'd be like, man, that bike was cool back in the day. Like, back when, when like, the tie 26, like, a tie, a 26-inch light speed with, like, a SID fork and XTR V-brakes, like, that was the shit. It's got, like, a... Back then. Control tech stem and, like, 
Cook Brothers cranks. Yeah, yeah, like you see stuff like that. And that was, um, you know, a good portion of the bikes out there. Or you'd see, you know, like just really, really low-end and entry-level stuff. And I'm sure that, I mean, those people got through the race fine. I know they did, but, um, you know, this one actually had some terrain to it. You know, it had a good bit of climbing. It had um, some of the the single track early on was actually very rocky. It reminded me a lot of what was at Transylvania um, and, you know, kind of like Arkansas type rocks. Um, you know, it was not the easiest stuff to do on a bike. And I, I know that a lot of people were probably slowed down some by their equipment. And, you know, that's unfortunate. So that's one thing is don't. If you're doing adventure racing and you need to get a bike, kind of follow the advice that we've given here uh, on just, you know, avoid the entry-level stuff. Um, Look for something that is at least tubeless compatible and at least has a fork that's got aluminum stanchions on it. You know, something that doesn't have, like, the base model, uh, you know, like SRAM X5 on it. I saw a lot of X5 derailers. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. Like... You know, just, and also, like, as far as bike setup, um, the conditions out there can get nasty. Like, our bikes sat in the rain for a while before we even got on them. Yeah, they just sit outside in the rain. Um, the course gets rained on. You ride in the rain. You ride in the mud. Um, you know, sol- uh, definitely full-run housing um, is a is a big thing. Um, you know, even if you have to zip tie it to your frame and it doesn't look the best, it's going to help you um, during a 30-hour race when you're using your bike for 10 of those 30 hours. Um, you know, put full-run housing on your bike so your shifting stays nice and crisp. You know, that's, that's a, a big thing that I saw. A lot of people, I heard lots of squeaky chains. Um, personally, I did the Pro Gold thing that I always do. Um, you know, degreased my chain, cleaned it really well, let it dry all the way, and I put extreme lube on it. And even though my bike sat in the rain, extreme exactly, even though my bike sat in the rain, and then I rode it through mud and rode it through hub deep water puddles and just all sorts of really nasty conditions like stuff that's kind of drivetrain hell, like kind of silty, rocky soil that gets up in there and makes it sound like really crackly for just a second or two did you run the extreme lube at the enduro i don't remember oh that's not very enduro (laughs) Uh, i tend to if i'm putting it on a a chain that's not all the way clean i tend to just use the regular um, pro gold because it's not quite as thick so it it tends to not get as yeah i mean the enduro too was so short so and it wasn't raining the weather was nice there was no mud enduro yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but anyway, like I used the I used the extreme lube, and the it was it was just drivetrain hell out there. It was it was bad stuff. Like I heard lots and lots of bad shifting and squeaky chains and everything. And mine mine stayed awesome. It really did. Like I I know that sounds really cheesy. Like you need to use extreme lube because it's awesome. Like it really like I I was expecting to hear some noise, and I never did, which was cool. Um, yeah, so just coming in with, like, a well-cared-for bike is really important. Um, you know, make sure your chain is clean and lubed. Make sure that, you know, if you've got tubeless tires, put some sealant in them. Use tubeless tires. You know, that's that's kind of a something that's going to help you avoid some flat tires. Not all of them, for sure, but, you know, you'll definitely avoid some flats out there, and, you know, if it's 45 degrees and raining like it was for part of our race, you really don't want to stop and change a flat tire because you're going to start freezing. Um, and your teammates will, might hate you in that situation. Luckily, the one flat tire that we had, it was still like, it was raining, but it was still pretty warm, so it wasn't that bad. Uh, yeah, that's kind of all I can think of right now, but just, you know, don't, don't go on Craigslist and find the cheapest, used-to-be-nice bike that you can find. Um, go back and listen to some of our episodes where if you look on Mountain Bike Radio, Ben has nice descriptions up of what we've talked about in the episodes. Um, you know, look on there about purchasing a bike and bikes in different price ranges. Um, 
purchasing a used bike, whatever, listen to some of the advice we've given you in the past and uh, don't get the bike that used to be cool back in like 2001. Because it's not really that great anymore. Um, you guys want to add anything? Probably not because you weren't there, but I got some nice cankles now. Kenny and Matt were kind of grossed out. I was just showing them off. They were, they were pretty serious. <laughs> I'm going to sit around. I, I fully expect that if I spend about 45 minutes in the elevated legs, they're going to go away. They mm. might come back, but they will go away temporarily, and they will feel better. <clears throat> they're beautiful cankles. Mm. No, I'm just, I'm, I haven't been on Facebook in a few days, and I've gone through and like, the dude about to cram his front tire into a root really hard because he's staring at the camera. So pro. <laughs> Um, yeah, we can move on, but yeah, if you want to see the full race report, go to my blog and read it. I won't, I won't give it here because it was 30 hours worth of racing. Are you looking at the 12 hour pictures? Mm -hmm. There's one, there's one of me going down blue and my chain is doing some of the funkiest stuff I've like ever seen a chain do. You guys take over. I got coconut in my teeth. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about... Oh yeah, Ken Graham had that question. Well, first of all, I was going to go back. To where Kenny said it was real weird that I said I answered the questions well. Uh, his answer was, fuck me, Ron, if that isn't quite the response. Um, so, yes. Uh, I'll start by reading the question. <clears throat> we were talking about the singulator and how we haven't... We were talking about the Yes ETR B, which is the bottom bracket mounted one. And... Who is this? Uh, 40 Hands from the BUI podcast emailed in and said that he's listened for a long time and I felt I had to chime in. Have you tried to do a conversion using a singulator? I slapped one of those on a Jake the Snake in 09 and wrote it without a singulator issue related or without a singulator related issue. Okay. Everything from cross, gravel, road, quick single track, and lap of an eight hour race never once had an issue, which is impressive over the course of three years for a $50 product. Just playing the devil's advocate with my experiences, enjoy, and keep me entertained. And my answer <clears throat> is long. Andrew, thanks for the input. Honestly, I think what you're highlighting is the inconsistency such products can offer. While you've had great luck, let me give my experience. The big problem with any dropout mounted tensioner comes down to the dropout. Different bikes have a different chainstay and seat stay intersection, and the different drop between the end of the hanger and where the, the chainstay falls. That's what I'm getting at here in drop, not bottom bracket drop. That doesn't have anything to do with how your tensioner works. Um, uh, all that's going to play a big factor in the functionality of the tensioner. A big problem I had is getting it to work with different cogs. Memphis, you need like a 3216 on your 29er and we need a 3220 or 21 out of town. And the simulator didn't really offer a simple and quick, hassle-free way to change between the different cogs, even using different chains. Um, also, I got a good bit of slap in the pushing up position, and I would sometimes knock my chain off with my foot. What would happen is I ride left foot forward, and when I jump, my right heel, being all the way back with my big feet, I would hit the tensioner sometimes and detension it right as I'm landing and the chain would flop around, and it would fall off the, the chain ring. Are you uh, left-handed, by the way? No. Huh. Interesting. No, I'm just interesting that you ride left foot forward. I mean, it's not that weird, but it's pretty weird. No, it's, it's, it makes more sense, because I'm right-handed, and all of my BMX rotation tricks go to the right. I gotcha. I mean, most people that I know that are right-handed ride right foot forward. Right, but you didn't learn... Jumping, yeah, exactly. and spinning. I left so, if you think about it, you pull with your right side, and having your your left foot forward to kind of lead around the outside edge it is a lot better when you're rotating to the right. So, if I were right foot forward and rotating to the right, I would kind of just be like flailing the back end out. But by having the right foot back, you kind of get to push the rear of the bike around with your leg. Um, yeah, I, I ride left foot forward, and I don't do any BMX tricks. Um, so I would I would detension it with my foot, and then it would fall off. Um, and this isn't just based on using it on my couple of bikes that I tried it on, but setting it up on customers' bikes along the way as well. Um, 
you know, you try to run it in the push-up position and the tensioner's either hitting the frame or you try to run it in the push-down position, you don't have enough chain rack and it's blowing over the rear cog. Uh, and I kind of wrap it up with, I do appreciate your feedback and glad it's worked for you. Sincerely, I know Surly wouldn't sell a total crap product, but I think it works great sometimes. Other times it's so-so, and I've never been a fan of so-so. Uh, I'm a very particular guy and I want bikes to work consistently. And his response is, uh, you know, F me run if that isn't quite the response. It sucks you haven't had good luck. Uh, I never changed the gear, and when I did use it for cross, I was never trying too hard and kept the rear wheel on with the exception of changing tubes and tires. Like, and he doesn't say this, but it's implied like he's only doing wheel changes like at home. Like, I need to put a new tire on, put it in the worst yeah. hand, put on a new tire. Yeah, until you have to actually change a flat on the side of the trail with a singulator, it's just. Well, and I think that our point was, and we may not have made it strongly enough, is that there are tensioners that sort of work. Yeah, they can work. And that sometimes in certain situations work really well, but there are no tensioners that are 100% always reliable. No, that's perfect. That's like absolutely the perfect response because, again, on a mountain bike, anything on my bike, I want to be 100% perfect. Right. I don't want there to be a shadow of a doubt about anything on my bike to ever fail, unless yeah. it's just this completely out of the blue thing. I mean, if it's not reliable, I'm just not interested in it. Yeah. So. Uh, I think you were correct. Um, yeah, that's pretty much that guy's question. So it looks like he sent us a follow-up here. Now, this, maybe it's a different person. Hold on. Uh, I'm looking, looking, looking. Oh, this, the, uh, this 650. I've got a 650 question on here that I don't... I sent a follow-up to him, and he never answered it. Oh, okay, okay. So, I I dug, I tried digging some more out of him, and didn't hear anything back. Okay, I guess until we hear back from Carl, uh, we will not answer that 650B question. Carl Costales? Is yep. that right? Costales? Yep, that's the one. If, um, anyone, if anyone watches Aqua Teen Hunger Force, you giggle a little bit every time you hear the, the name Carl. This thing looks fast as sitting still. It's hauling ass around the backyard. Uh, so it's kind of hard. To, and maybe this is the, a tiny downfall of us not being live and in your face. But, um, and I'm not saying that we're complaining about Carl. But Carl is kind of, I guess, highlighting um, something that you can do. Uh, and Carl's question is great. But Carl's question doesn't give us a couple of things. Uh, it... It really skips out. He says he doesn't want to... Long story short, he's looking for a 650B bike. He's always had hardtails. He wants to try full suspension. Doesn't need to be carbon, but it can't weigh 40 pounds. And I don't know if 40 pounds is literal or an exaggeration. Um, that's kind of the first one. Um, he doesn't give us anything of a budget. Um, and he doesn't really tell us how tall he is. Because I kind of answered back, you know, don't have a ton of, of uh, 650B experience. I would probably push you towards a 29er because that's what I know. But kind of like, why do you want a 650B bike? What's making you want that 650B? Um, and just haven't heard back. But once we do, we can kind of dig in and, and give an example and like pull up a bike and say, this is this is probably a bike that would work well for what you want to do. Yeah. Um, and sort of go from there. But um, let's see. another Another guy... Offered to mail me his Yes Tensioner, the ETRV. Um, let's see, Frank Stanton. Uh, I have an ETRV and it works excellent. I used it on my lens Leviathan without issue just to try it, but I am interested in the ETRV because it would make removal and reinstall the wheel much easier. If you want, I'd be happy to mail the ETRV for you to you for you to try. Uh, it also won't work with a through axle, um, so it sounds like you have to totally remove the skewer in order for it to work. Blah blah blah, like or in order to remove the wheel. It's just there's just lots of little lots of little moving parts there. Um, so what's the difference between those two? I'm not 100 percent familiar with their products. I know that they are two pulley tensioners, correct? Ooh, both. Okay. Yes and no. Okay. Oh, is one the rear mount and one is the I'm getting it pulled up right now. Okay. So, an ETRD is a full suspension chain tensioner, and it's a, a, a double, a jockey wheel one, and 
the way that it works is you have set screws that go against the end of... It's actually a little... It's not quite two jockey wheels. It's actually one, like, bushing, like, Delrin roller thing. And, and then one pulley, yeah. Okay. Um, sorry. But it has, like, a B-screw adjustment on it of sorts. Uh, and that just bolts directly to the hanger. For what it's worth, I tried that on someone's hardtail. And you, would th- you would think it would actually work really well, even on a hardtail. I thought it would. And, uh, yeah, it kind of didn't. Really? I wish it did. What was wrong? It just, it would pop over the cog. You could have an ungodly amount of tension on that thing and have, like, a perfectly length chain. And he was running just regular old single-speed rings, front and rear. Surly rear cog, stainless, and uh, just a regular 30. It was like a 32-18 combo, nothing, like, super abnormal. Or 34-18 well, or something He wasn't something trying like to run, like, a 30-14 No, no, stupid. it wasn't, like, super tiny rear cog or anything. And uh, you put down power, and it would pop and skip. Duke, duke, duke. Just so, blowing over the cog. Yep, exactly. And I just I tried everything under the sun. All kinds of different tensions on the thing. Um, yep, it just didn't work. How much did he weigh? Uh, it's West Bennett. Not a like, lot. Oh, he's <laughs> like he's like average dude size. No, he weigh he weighs like a little less than two hundred or something. Or yeah, I mean he's not he's not a, a big fatty, but he's he's, a he's dude. not he's, a dude. he's not Matt either. But the ETRB works by. It has one bolt that goes in the dropout and one hole that the skewer goes through. So, yeah, it's all kind of weird. Yeah, I'm kind of looking at it. ETRD, ETRH. Where do they get these letters from? Uh, One's for horizontal drops, I think, and one's for vertical drops. And the D would be for dual suspension. Oh. And the the B would be for uh, bottom bracket. You guys are so smart. Look at us, <laughs> I wish I was smart like you guys. I'm just you a woman. <laughs> and don't you ever forget it. <laughs> uh, so, kind of, uh, I guess a, a complaint or quirk. Um, I blew up my Sid uh, on my jet. I rode it really hard through some rocks, and now the crown upper steer assembly is very creaky. It it sounds like there's not a lower headset bearing in my bike when I'm riding it. It's just like... That sucks. Uh, I wish I'd heard that before you took it apart. It doesn't quite make that last little like noise, but... It sounds like you need a pike, bro. Uh... Would they warranty it with a pike? I don't think they're going to warranty that with a pike. If you get me a pike, um, you will need a scrub guard when I'm done with you. I don't know if that means you're happy or you're really upset. Uh, (laughs) I'm saying I would give you the ride of your life, and you'd probably want a scrub guard. (laughs) Because you don't know where he's been. (laughs) Sounds like you're pretty dirty. (laughs) I'm I'm giving out sexual favors for bike parts here. Uh, Okay. Um, Let's see. Um, so, I want to talk about the past so we can talk about the future. Um, there is a guy that we met when we went out to Pisca. His name was Yuri, or is Yuri, uh, not was. I mean, he still is Yuri. He didn't, he didn't die this morning or anything. I say that because I saw he posted something on Facebook, so he at least made it to this afternoon. Uh, and Yuri has a, um... A hardtail 29er that was made by 44 bikes and it's something really fancy that is at least two or three years old now uh, it's a cool looking bike it's a very cool bike <clears throat> and it seems to do a lot of the same things that that um, that Dickie really points out uh, you know Rich Dillon is really a I guess you'd call him a, a seat post master. He wants all of his seat posts to show. Um, you know, a seat post is not only lighter, but it's more flexible than a frame. So if you have more post showing, you're going to get more compliance and less weight out of your hardtail. Uh, also, when you lower the seat stay top tube interject, inner section, uh, when, you, when you move that junction down, the rear end is, in theory, supposed to get softer because there's a, a more sloping bracing angle, so it's more likely to flex. Um, and by building the um, the bike kind of tailored around your seat height, unless you're where you can run like a whole 400 millimeter post nearly 
you know, at the minimum Dickie's line. also got long legs for his size. Right, but Dickie's building a bike to work with side exit cages and tall bottles. Like, he's made his seat height, his seat tube junction where that works. Yeah. Like, his seat tube, water bottle placement, all that kind of works around that sometimes. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's how mine is also. It doesn't work. Actually, on my hardtail, the... I can only fit a normal size bottle back there. I can't use like a tall polar bottle. But I mean like a real tall polar bottle. Um, Keep going. But Yuri let me ride his bike. Um, it's the 44 bikes. I want to say it's number 13 because he also owns number 14 that his wife lovingly like bought for him as a surprise after it had been built and he had lusted over it um, and it had been to the handmade bike show. Um but what's really crazy is Yuri's bike rides a lot like... I got to ride it around. He's very my size. Like, his seat height is within... He's uh, very you, too. <laughs> yes. Um, Yuri and I, when I met, within five minutes, we were, like, leaned in, talking about all the stuff. I've talked about wheels and what kind of brought me to riding the Knox wheels. And, like, as he listened to my, like discussion of the Knox wheels like you could tell that he was listening and there was like all sorts of things firing in his brain and he was like absorbing every little bit of information that they I was had giving. they had a moment we did we had a very tall lanky awkward moment um, <laughs> but anyways uh, I was able to ride his bike and when I rode it it was really I don't want to say crazy because it's not crazy but it's really interesting to me to see that his bike rode really, really well. It turned and it, it felt and it snappied and it felt so much like my specialized Crave that it was sort of spooky because that bike was built years before my bike was. And, and sorry, one more time, Wh- whose bike is this? It's 44 bikes. Oh, okay, this was the, okay. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, I would hate to have that wrong. I'm, I'm pretty sure you did. You're um, right. I mean. I gotta figure this out real quick. Oh, made to shred. Um, man, that's just like dead air. That's not good. We're just all looking at the computer. Um, anyways, I rode it and it rode really well and it felt a lot like my bike even though my bike is a lot newer. Um, and to me, it's just really interesting because I'm curious to see what bikes in the next couple of years might be like. Um, if you... Oh, wait. That's his bike. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not looking at it. No, I think if you go to the website, that's his bicycle. That might not be, but it looks a lot like his. A whole lot like his. On the front page? Um, Like if you click into Mountain, there's this black hardtail, and it looks a lot like Yuri's bike. They probably all kind of look similar. No, I mean, like... No, that's Yuri's bike. It is. Same it's, tires and everything? Well, no, I mean... Oh, yeah, he it, did have that same, I think, chain ring and... Yeah, he had X9 with a one-up on it, and he had the really minimal saddle with the Envy Post and XTR brakes and everything. Uh, yeah, it does look like his bike. Uh, I think the only thing that might have changed over time is... Um, Tires. He had Shimano pedals on there. Tires. Well, no, I mean, that has egg beaters on it, but he rides Shimano pedals. Okay. Anyways, I rode it, and it felt really good, and it felt really nice, and it was really uh, a nice-feeling bicycle. And I'm just so curious, because this guy is way ahead of his time. Or, obviously, custom. He's going to be more reactive, a little closer to pushing the envelope on things. Um, But it's just so surprising that Here's a dude that's building one bike, and that one bike rides so well. And I'm not trying to subtract from what 44 Bikes is doing, but it takes Taiwan so long to catch up. And it makes me wonder, is this a problem where Specialized doesn't react quickly enough, or can Taiwan not tool up and re-up and make quickly enough for this? Um, I, I don't know. But I just, I don't know. It was a really nicely riding bike, and it was really cool. And it kind of, I mean, I always want everything, so. <laughs> you, want, you want one of these now? I want one of everything. I mean, really what I want, and no one makes, 
uh, we can kind of segue into the, the next thing. After I broke my fork and everything, I really want to ride a 29 plus. But <laughs> the problem is there's not, I want to ride a 29 plus that doesn't exist. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Um, I want to ride a specialized Crave 29 plus. I think that they need to do what they what Niners done with the Ross Plus. They need to make a, a Crave Plus, and they need to offer it just twenty nine plus <clears throat> with a carbon rigid fork. But I mean, the Ross Plus is still a pretty slack bike, like no, compared they, to the Crave. No, but they took a bike. Oh, okay. And then they made a they took a twenty nine er. I thought you were saying you want like a Ross Plus in aluminum, but in a Crave. No, no, I want a... Yeah, yeah, I see what you're like, saying. Like, they have a Ross and a Ross Plus. I think Specialized is in a unique position because... And so is um, uh, Trek. One of those are going to be the first ones to bring it out because they're making everything in-house. They're making frames, forks, wheels, and tires. Um, and that's really what you need to build those bikes. you got to make your own frame and fork. And to really do it right, you can't sell a Specialized bike with a Surly tire. Um, you need to you need to spec it with your own rim and your own tire. You think that they're they're going to do it? They're just taking it's taking a while to get all of that stuff made. I think to tool up and do that is going to take a little longer than probably even they would like. But I think it's coming, and it might not be. It's obviously not a 2015 product release. It might be a 2016 product. Um, but I do think it's coming, and if for some reason. Someone out there has been riding a 29 plus, like a, a Crave, or I'm sorry, a, a, a Krampus or a Narvister in a large, and you're about to start riding your fat bike, and you wanted to mail it to me for like two months, I would ride it, and I would take really good care of it, and I would send it back to you. Um, I don't know if I really want a 29 plus, but I definitely want to spend more time on it, and I was kind of talking with Andrea about that today, and I'm like, I want to... Sp- because I got to ride that Borealis Echo, and it felt really cool. It just didn't go uphill that well. And I don't know how much of that was me sucking it up, going up real hills at elevation, and how much of that was the bike. And that's something that I don't really know. Did you feel like when you went and you were riding the Mach 6 that you also sucked going uphill? Just as bad? Um, I mean, I know the Mach 6 isn't going to be the greatest, most wonderful thing uphill, but it's not going to suck. Well... But that was also days three and four at altitude. Uh, that doesn't matter. I mean, three and four, you're going to feel just as bad, if not worse, really. Well, that's that's what I'm getting at, though. Is like I'd spent days one and two at a lower altitude riding a bike with a seat about a quarter inch too low. Oh, the mock. You rode the mock the, the Borealis. Oh. It had an internally routed reverb post, and I, I needed to raise the seat like an eighth or a quarter of an inch, and I okay. couldn't. Like... And I, I pulled the crank, and I was going to, like, fish a little bit more line through. And, like, I, like, took one of the crank arms off and looked in there. And I was like, oh, and I put the crank arm back on. Why? What was wrong? Well, it wasn't quite as easy as I was hoping it was going to be. I was going to have to pull the bottom bracket, and it was going to take a proprietary race face tool mm. to do it. And I didn't have it. It wasn't my bike. And, like, I was thinking about driving it down to the bike shop, pedal of Littleton, and, like, take care of it there, and then I realized I didn't know those guys, and I'd have to, like, clog up their work stand for, like, 45 minutes, probably by the time it was all said and done, um, so I just kind of dealt with it, I guess you would say, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I would like to, I just, and I'm not saying, like, oh, I just want to jump on the bandwagon, but there's a lot of people riding those, and there's a lot of people that are going really fast on them, and I don't know... If that's an answer of sorts, is it is it more tire and less bike, like less suspension? Is that going to be where things go over the next couple of years? God, I hope not. <laughs> well, I just think there's lots of cool things that are possible that maybe haven't been explored yet. What I really, really, really want to see, and I think I think I talked about this in the shop. I really want to see that, like Dean. Or some other kind of tie 29 plus full suspension bike with a small amount of travel, 60, 80 mil of travel in the back, pivotless, you know, real simple. Um, I, I want to see a soft tail with a loud fork. 
And that, it could be interesting. I mean, for sure. <laughs> the most half-ass suspension bike ever. I mean, that could be interesting. But I want to see that with 29 Plus. I think that'd be really cool. Because that would keep the frame a little simpler, a little bit lighter, um, since you're hauling around more tire. Ugh. I think it could be cool. So, in my experience, with bikes that don't have all the proper pivots, because mm-hmm. they just don't ride right. You're, you're probably right. Yeah, I just I envision something, it doesn't have to be pivotless, that's not that important, but to me, just a short travel, 29 plus, I think would be awesome. You know, and and keep, try to keep that frame nice and light. Yeah, I don't know. I just I, uh, that just sounds like a giant heavy piece of crap that would be slow. But you get lots of traction. You get so much traction, bro. Well, that's what people say about you get so much bikes. traction. What you get a lot of traction? No, that they're heavy and stupid and complicated and all that stuff. But they're okay. fa- they're fast. Uh, every single one of those things is true. I mean, they are heavy, they are complicated, and they are fast. Yeah. I mean, I won't, I won't deny it. My Jet 9 is fast as hell. Like, I can get on that bike and just pedal really hard and don't hit a tree, and I'm going to be fine. Like, I know I've said this once before, but I'll say it again. Like, Pisgah, I put the dropper down, I took my hand off the front brake, and I hope to not cut a tire. And those tires really came through for me. Um, Max's tires are awesome. You get the ones with the EXO sidewall protection, and... If you cut one, you earned it. I mean, it's... Yeah, you would have cut open anything. Yeah, exactly. Like, the only thing that wouldn't have cut open would have been, like, a surface drifter that's, like, quarter-inch thick rubber all the way around. It weighs, like, 12 million grams per (laughs) half tire. Um, And you actually have to, like... It's so inflexible, you can't mount it to the rim. You have to bolt sections of tire together around the rim. Um, (laughs) Shut the front door. Um... But, no, I, I mean, I kind of agree with Kenny in some ways. I, I think that, well, no, let me back up a little. I don't think you want a lot of suspension. Um, and the one thing about the Borealis Echo that I didn't like was I felt like the Bluto and the 32-millimeter stanchions, I felt like I had enough traction to deter from the ride of the fork. Like, you could really lay into the brake, and you could feel the fork kind of, load up under you. Dude, the more traction you got, the more you're going to notice noodly stuff on your bike, whether it's a quick-release axle or a, a 32 stanchion fork or whatever. And that's the thing. It was, I mean, you said that your race face bar feels stiffer. This was running an uncut race face 35-millimeter clamp bar, so I had like, what is that, 780 millimeters of leverage with like a 3-inch wide contact patch on the ground. So, like, when I leaned on it and braked, I had a lot of force there, and the, you could feel the fork, like, noodly a little bit. So, I can go down that kind of path for just a second. People are curious. I like talking about new new bike acquisition, part acquisitions, rather. So, Kenny's become a race face whore. I did. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like race face very much, generally, but, uh, but I, I figured I... bought a bunch I'd, of their shit. I bought a bunch of their stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Alright, what's wrong with me? I don't really like them. I bought a bunch of that no, stuff. No, so. Race Face went through a little like Taiwanese phase there for a while. So like, Race Face made awesome stuff when they were first around. They were like that first company to made have in like the USA. big burly well, in Canada, like the Atlas crank. They had that big burly, nice CNC cranks that were like actually stiff compared to everything else out. What was the turbine? That's the what turbine was like a great crank, right? Super popular. It looked awesome. It sold really well. It wasn't retarded expensive. Anyway. Um, so they made really good products, I think, way back in the day. And then in that, like, 2000, I'd say the 2000 to 2008 era, somewhere in that ballpark, they went, like, 100% Taiwanese. Everything's, like, cast, and it was just, I don't know, I was not a big fan of their stuff. A lot of their stuff was breaking. Um, regardless, I don't know what has changed out there, but they seem to be making some pretty cool products. So it all started with my crank set. I got a aluminum Jet 9 100 mil travel bike, which has a Prestfit 30 bottom bracket, much to my chagrin. I'm not super pumped about that, but regardless, I was running an adapter setup with my um, with my XO carbon cranks. I just didn't like how it worked, so I was like, "Hey, I'm going to go get an out of the box 30 mil spindle crank, so I can run the proper bottom bracket and just be done with all the problems." And I didn't want to get a SRAM. I don't like the SRAM 
uh, press fit 30 stuff, to be honest. Yeah, those bottom brackets are so cheesy. Yeah, the bottom brackets aren't great, and the, the spindles get locked up, like the bolt will get seized onto the crank, and all these other kind of problems. So, I figured, I saw the race face thing come out, it's super light, I'm a closet weight weenie, so I picked one up. So I got the next SL crank with that 30 mil spindle, really cool crank, really nice construction. It feels, I mean, it's a crank. It feels the same stiffness as, um, <laughs> yeah, you're watching that. Everyone's watching that video. What, the Skrogard yeah. video? No, this guy jumping onto a, <laughs> he's jumping onto a shipping container. He was trying to do like some parkour move or something like uh, that and just completely missed and hit his face on a shipping container from like ow. 20 feet up. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. He turned himself into a seal. That's that's off, off topic a little bit. So I got the next SL crank. Really nice. Looks good. It's stupid light. It's like a full 100 plus grams lighter than an XO crank, which is pretty rowdy. Um, the bottom bracket seems to be of good quality. It adjusts pretty easy. It's got a spiderless ring on it from the factory. So it's all stuff to like. So far, so good with that, and since I bought all that, I'm like, hey, I'm going to be a race face whore now. So I bought the Next SL 35mm uh, carbon bar and the Turbine 35mm stem, and I like it, like, a lot. It's pretty sweet. Oh, so you got, like, a, like the real, the super fat stuff. I got the fat stuff, yeah. Okay. And, you know, I bought it because I honestly wanted to say that I've tried it. Yeah. I bought it fully expecting for it to either, A, make no difference... Or B, be so overly stiff and annoying that I would just get rid of it. Yeah. Um, it is definitely, I have lost some vertical compliance in the bars, like 100%. Mm-hmm. Some of the small chatter stuff, I feel a little bit more through the grips, and I really don't think it's placebo. It really does seem to be a little harsher. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else on the bike is exactly the same as it was. So, I will say, however, I changed up a few things at the same time. I went... 10 mil shorter on the stem because I went a little wider on the bar. I added about 20 mil to my length on the bar. Mm-hmm. I was running a 680. Now I'm running a 700. Um, I like that. So I went 10 mil lower, 10 mil shorter, and about 10 mil wider on either side. So those were all the changes I made. But I'll tell you what, I don't know if it's because it's a little bit different riding position or the wider bar, but carving into corners, I mean, it just... It feels better. I mean, I have no other way to say it. I mean, I, I really didn't think I would notice much of a difference, but I really like it. And I can't, unfortunately, I can't put my finger on exactly what made the bigger difference, if it's the riding position or if it's the that stiffer cross-section in the front there. But, hey, where, whatever it is, it's better, and I like it. So I'm going to stick with it for right now. Pretty cool. Um, so there you go. If you're curious about the 35 mil stuff, it's definitely not worse. Um, that's cool. You, you do lose a little bit of compliance if that's a problem. I would um, like to try that. They're really nice. I and do like to create, especially on a hardtail. I I really like to just crank on the bars, like stand these up. These things and, are stiff. They are really really stiff. I like to do the stand hammer. Uh, but man, they're just cranking that bike into corners now. I feel like I have so much more mid corner grip and feel about like what the bike's about to do. And again, I don't know if it's just that little bit wider position. Or a little bit lower position, or what it is. I'm not sure, but um, regardless, pretty cool. I like the stuff so far. Cool. And weight-wise, it was. Uh, I think I went up 10 grams on my combo. So, it wasn't... but you went down on the crank, so you know. It... Yeah, I dropped a ton on the cranks. So, the bar. What it ends up being is the bar weighs pretty much the same as any other highly competitive. Uh, How wide are you products. running your bars now? 700, even. Okay. And that's really, it's, you know, I know there's a lot of discussion out there about what's the right length of bar. Um, Run all the handlebar. <laughs> I mean, it kind of depends on your style a little bit, but, and people in Colorado aren't going to believe this. Um, there are places in Memphis where if you were running like a, a standard Colorado width bar, like 700 and something, like bigger than 710, um, you can't ride down the trail. I really d- in Memphis we just we have a lot of trees, so we, yeah. we have a lot of tree gates. So I'm I don't really to... I don't really like tree gates, but it's just how we are around here, and I, I'm not the person to modify a trail because it's not to my liking. So I just deal with it. Uh, with that said, I wouldn't really want to run much wider than 700 around here. It yeah, would I mean be, Matt, you do 710. It I would know. be really difficult. I do 710, mm-hmm. and one of the tightest places, the um, Stanky Creek, the Wino. 
That that one on the wino. I'll go measure that. The next time I'm there, I'm gonna stop and measure that. Are you talking about the one on the white before the downhill? Yes. Like almost all the way at the end of the trail. Yes. That's actually on the white trail, but okay. But you know, like out, I know where you're talking. By, about. like yeah, There's like a couple when you're of almost tight finished. trees on the wino trail. There's actually tight trees everywhere. Like you pass the jump area and you cross over that little fire road and then there's one last little section of trail before you get to the like enduro no. okay no way before that okay well that's the narrowest spot on the trail though Mm-mm-mm. that other spot's skinnier there's a bunch though but I mean, you know shoot. you know this i know which one you're talking about and i've always thought that the the last one is skinnier the last one is skinnier mm, no, i'll measure both of them okay i think those are those are the so i've run the widest bar here i run an uncut niner bar and those are the only two places that make me nervous. Like, yeah. That's the only two places that There's I, some at Herb Parsons. But I assume, you're, like I assume you're pretty happy with the 710. Otherwise, you wouldn't run it. I would probably... I'm just way too lazy to buy another bar to go wider. Okay. If I could go so you would to, even think about going a tad wider then? I would go 20 or 30. And by the way, again, I don't know... I really wish I knew what made the most difference on my setup. Because, again, I changed a lot of little things a little bit. But I don't know if it's the 10 mil shorter stem. My steering feels so much more direct. I mean, it's just... It's, I think it's because you went lower and you put more weight on the front wheel. Yeah, I bet that's I don't part know of what it. it is. You know, before, I mean, the way I used to corner is I would get very low over the bar, even though the bar was... I mean, I'm talking about I went down a small... I think you've also, like, when you lower your bar, you're bending over more at the hip. Your upper body is a little lower, so it could, I mean, very, very slightly... But, you know, being someone who's very in tune with your riding and, and very in tune to any little change you make with your bike, you've lowered your center of gravity a small amount. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm sure it doesn't hurt. I think what I'm finding out is that I work very well. My riding style works very well with a little bit shorter stem. I'm, I'm learning that wider bar, little bit shorter stem. I really like the way that feels for the most part, so... If anybody's ever curious about trying that. And what you can do to experiment, if you have like kind of an average width bar and an average length stem, so say a 90 or 100 mil stem with like a 600 and something mil wide bar, and you want to try to widen up your position but not really change your overall reach, go buy a wider bar and a little bit shorter stem, and the net effect is really nothing as far as like roughly how much you feel like you're leaned over. Yeah. So, anyway, it's just kind of interesting to try. So, for what it's worth, I've been really liking it. Slowly kind of working out towards going a little bit wider bar, a little bit shorter stem. So, so far, so good. Kind of cool. The other thing that, um, while we're talking about that, I, when I got the Crave, I just started riding it straight up, like whatever it was. Like, I built it, and I changed the wheels on it, and that was it. Like at first, I put my nice wheels on it and a nice seat and seat post, and everything else was just like it was along for the ride at that point. Like I didn't really have anything else to throw into it, so I was running it like avid elixir ones, like <laughs> the specialized bar and stem that it came with, which they were they were seven hundred and something wide, and it but it had like an eighty millimeter stem, and I rode that for a long time. Uh, but here recently, um, I'm all the way out to a 100 on the hardtail. I'm running a 100 millimeter stem, um, but I'm running a 90 on the full suspension bike. And even though the full suspension frame is a tiny bit longer, um, I, I kind of wish I could run like an 85 or something. Another thing I'm noticing is, and it's no shock because, hey, this is how a lot of factories set up their bikes. When you go with a longer fork and a little bit more raked out head tube angle, Having that shorter stem makes that bike feel so much better. I did put, even though like the the reach on my Jet Nine and the reach on my previous like the small Niner that I had the small hardtail, the reach I think was the same on them. But I went with a shorter stem on the Jet. Yeah, I'm using a one twenty fork. I think it makes a really big positive difference if you kind of move your weight back on, and it does feel. Like, it feels shorter. It's not just like a, I don't know. It's it's definitely, like, I can tell a difference between the two bikes. Um, but, you know, as far as the fit goes, but it's in a good way. 
Oh, are we done talking about that, or do you... No, we're done with that topic. Okay, can I, I do... I was starting to... I was going to start running the, uh, the the Ken Graham one. Yeah, that's what I was about to read. But I was going to use... I was getting out my... Uh, your, your calculator? Yeah. Do you want me to read the question while you do some yeah. calculations? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so Ken Graham, a uh, cool dude from Memphis, says... One quick question before we get started. Yeah. Are we going to settle for... Uh, that's the tire. Sorry. I just picked an Icon 235 as a rear tire. Okay. That's the important part. All right. So, question for the JRA crew. Have any of you ridden 1x11 yet? Uh, I'll have that option to consider soon or stay 2x10. I believe it would be fine on trails, but on some local rides, I'll ride anywhere from 5 to 20 miles of road from driveway to trail and paved and gravel rides in the country. I've looked at the gear charts and can see the range is close, but curious of the feel on the road. Does the top end loss make a difference? Thanks. Um, yes, Ken. As a matter of fact, I have 1x11 on both of my mountain bikes, on my hardtail and on my full suspension. And on one of your cross bikes. And you're going to do it on your other cross bike. Well, that's 1x10. But, I mean... Okay, well, this is the what I was going to say... Um, between 1x10 and 1x11, um, the reason why I'm okay with having 1x10 on my cross bikes is because during an actual cyclocross race, um, that range of gears works very well. And you're not going to, you know, I, I'll run like a 40, a 40 tooth chainring on the front and then an 1126 on the back or an 1128, but somewhere in that neighborhood. And that range works just fine. If I needed a lower gear in a cyclocross race, I'd be losing. Um, and you don't need a higher gear than that, <clears throat> really, in a cyclocross race. Um, however, if I were to take those bikes out on the road, um, I will definitely notice a loss in the range. Especially, like you said, on the high end. Um, the top There is some top-end loss. It's not really that bad. I mean, if I were trying to do a group ride with it or something, it would suck. Um, but, what, are you yawning or are you, like, in, in shock of something? I think she's excited. I think that's his excited noise. Mike, your calculator doesn't let you run a 42 in the rear. Oh, so it's not his excited noise. Oh. Um, use the Sheldon Brown one. Go to the Sheldon Brown website. That's what I always do. Just keep talking. I'll, I'll go for it. Okay, so... 1 by 10 um, yes, I would say if you were going to ride on the road, you might notice the top end loss. Um, you might not like that your range is shortened as far as the number of gear choices you have. Um, so if you're going to stay 10 speed, I'd say stay 2 by 10. I still don't, even though Matt converted to 1 by 10 um, yeah, I mean, he's doing the kind of like, it, it works most of the time thing, like even though he converted and, like, Kenny's like, oh, Matt's a believer now. I still don't, I don't like 1x10 on mountain bikes. Because, like you, Ken, I do ride a lot off the trail. And I like to have, and I ride in other areas, too. I do a fair amount of racing outside of Memphis. Hey, now, where I like 1x10. I would rather have 1x11. Let's make Well, that I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But if I had to have a 10-speed bike, it would be 2x10. It would not be 1x10 on enough. a mountain bike. Because I don't, I don't blame you. Because I just, I don't think there's a broad enough range of gears there. However, 1x11, they they give you some options. Like that 10-tooth cog on the 1x11 cassette, that makes a pretty big difference. Um, then you have the 42. That's kind of where I was trying to get to. Matt's trying to do the actual calculations, but I remember back when, when I was 2x10. I had a 3826 front ring and I used an 1132 in the back. Now, I realize that 32 is a little higher than what a lot of people have. They a lot of people have a 34 or 36. I used a 32 because I liked having a closer gear ratio in the back. And I figured out that with 1 by 11, if I ran a 34 tooth chainring in the back, I would have almost the same low gear. So like the 26, 32. 
So I would have pretty much the same granny gear ability. If I ran a 36 tooth chainring in the front, I would lose a little bit of that low, like the granny gear speed, but I would have the same top end that I always had. And that I went out and do all my training rides, all my rides where I'm on the road, all of that stuff, I would have that same gear. So it would, it made sense for me um, because that gear range available on the 11 speed cassette, um, they covered it well enough that I'm okay with it. Um, now there, I mean, there have been situations where I've got one chain ring on there and I'm wanting a little bit more on one end or the other, but that's pretty rare. Um, especially if you're riding lots and lots of trail. Um, the less you're on the road, the less you're going to notice that. What are, you, what are you laughing at, Matt? Was I, was I wrong somehow? or? I was stuck in my own little world this whole time, so what I just found out is that Ken's going to lose nothing. Really? Okay. Going from 2x10 to 1x11? 2x10 to 1x11. Assuming he had a 38-26 with an 11-36 in the rear. Uh-huh. <clears throat> His top speed was 9... Uh, at, so, 38-11 at 90 RPM is 26.7 miles per hour. Right. 34-10 at 90 RPM is 26.57 miles an hour. Um, if he bumps his cadence up to 91, he gets 26.9 miles an hour. So, not, that's doable. It's the same. Okay. And then 26.36 at 50 RPM, because I like to look at the slow side. Like yeah, you're like if you're granny like gear. Churning butter, you know. Churning butter. Churning that butter. He's going 3.1 miles an hour, and uh, 34.42 at 50 is 3.5 miles an hour. 50 might be a little slow. I'd say like 60 or something. 50? I, I'll bet you you do like, when you're standing up, really cranking up something, you're probably doing like 40, I would oh. say. No, you're doing more than, you're doing in the around 60. Because that's how, that's how I do a lot of climbing. I do, I must be a boss. Well, no, I was going to say, I did a lot of out of the saddle climbing when I was in Pisgah. And I never had an average cadence for the day that was under 70. And that was a lot of, like, climb up, don't pedal down. <laughs> climb up, don't pedal down. Um, I had a seven-minute time that I didn't pedal at all. <laughs> Pretty rad. What was that, like, Black Mountain the first day? No, I pedaled coming out Black Mountain. Okay. Yeah, you kind of had to, or else you'd die because you would... Front stick, wheel into something. Yeah, you would just, your front wheel would stay in a hole. So... That's that's where I'm at. Yeah, Ken. So you're not your range is going to be just fine. Um, the only place that I've actually noticed that I don't like one by eleven is because I do like a closer gear ratio than that. Doesn't bother me at all on the trail. I never notice that there are significant jumps between some of the gears on the trail. Um, however, there are occasions when I'm doing intervals or just on the road or whatnot and. One gear is like just a, the cadence is a little bit too slow to be really comfortable, and then the next gear it's a little too fast to be comfortable. But that's once again like that's one of those things where it's I notice it, but it doesn't bother me enough to change. I do like one by eleven. I think it works well. Um, you know, I'd, I'd if I were you, I'd I'd go for it. It's light. It's nice. No front derailleur to mess with. Nice really? and clean. Um, Kenny, you did, you've had, uh, the one thing that we've had problems with 1x11 was the cassette thing, like where they get stuck. Yeah, I mean, SRAM has had some issues. The thing about all the issues, for the end user, it doesn't really matter much because SRAM, if you're the original owner and you didn't buy it from eBay, they're going to take care of it, which is really nice. I mean, yeah. even probably two years down the road when you're technically out of warranty. Yeah, I've had that problem with the cassette. And they I will pro I've never had SRAM not take care of me. They're they're easy to deal with. It's a little inconvenient, and your bike's going to be down for a little bit. But, uh, yeah, that's the deal. And the thing is now, uh, SRAM's got the X1 at that really good price point, at that 900 and something dollar retail price point for the whole shebang. So crank everything. 
Um, so, I mean, at that price point, I think you should go for it. It's good stuff. And if you need a BB30 XX1 crank with a 34 tooth ring, you can hit me up. I got one for the cheap. There you go. I will. I will get it to you. At what uh, What bike is Ken riding these days? Do you know? He has a full suspension bike. You know, he had a jet, but I think he sold it. No, I think he had a geared bike, and he sold it and got a jet. And I thought he had a jet and a single speed. The jet has been sold because he might be that belongs it. to uh, Victor now. Victor has the old black anodized Jet Nine. Oh, so, but anyway, I, I thought he had. The- I was just curious for bottom bracket reasons. It's really not important, but anyway, X One. Hey, it's good stuff. I installed it on a, a customer's bike already, and yeah, it's nice for the money. It's hard to beat. Quality, uh, quality full drivetrain for under nine hundred bucks. Is now, is there anything good. that you would do? Uh, I guess kind of like piecemeal. Like if you had it your way, would you go full blown X one or would you get like an X one shifter cassette chain crank I'd chain? Probably ring? go full full bore. They have three different crank options. I would get the nicest one personally because it gives you the option of running a spiderless ring if you choose. It's the AKA crank. Okay. Also, uh, same as the X nine crank. They just call it X one now. Same thing. I think it's called the the fourteen hundred. And then they have like maybe a twelve hundred and a one thousand or something like that. Okay. They've got three different levels. They have one like cheesy X five looking crank. They've got one crank that's like the old, maybe like OCT crank. And then they have the nicer, like the nicest aluminum crank that Truvative has ever made for a mountain bike, which is the X nine and uh, AKA. It's that same one. Yep. I think that the the ten tooth makes all the difference though. Yeah. The ten that. Even if you're running a pretty small chain ring. Even if you're on a 32 in the front, you can haul on a 3210. Yeah. Like, I mean, 3210 can, is no joke. Yeah, it's not It's not slow. You know, it may not be, you know, if you if you have very long tailwind Dude, 32, descents. 3210 at 90 RPM is 25. Yeah, I mean, you like, yeah, you can still go. It, yeah, you, you, should, you should do it. And Ken, I mean, not to be too, too divulge too much personal information about you, but uh, for those of you out there, just so you know, we, we've known, Ken's been around for forever. Uh, we don't really hang out with Ken. I mean, nothing against him, but we just we just know him. We're you know, it's a pretty small community. Here he's a nice Memphis. guy. He's a very nice guy. I've never wanted to say a mean thing about Ken Graham personally. Me, the biggest dick of all. I've never had anything negative to say about Ken Graham. So I think that goes a long ways. Um, and it's probably <laughs> Matt the, has never cussed Ken Graham. Yeah, and that's probably the biggest compliment that anyone <laughs> has ever gotten. From I've never wanted to cuss you. Um, but. Um, I mean, other than gingers have no soul. That's not a compliment. <laughs> I mean, that's the only bad thing about Ken Graham. I can say oh, that because I'm oh, redheaded. I kind of forgot that about it. Anyways, uh, Ken does a lot of rides by himself. So, um, even on my road bike, I'm not pedaling at 25 that often. Um, the number of times in a ride that I'm under power at 25 on my road bike even is is pretty slim and those times are usually um doing like some pretty heavy intervals um i'm running a i don't know what ken does for interval training well i'm just kind of throwing out there what i got i mean i guess i'm highlighting that it's not like ken's going out with a bunch of road rides um and uh you know gonna have issues like he's, he's generally taking it a little bit easy well, maybe not easy, but he's doing it steady by yeah. himself. That's yeah. what I'm getting at. Um, and just to give you an idea, Ken, even a 3210 is just as fast as my 3611. Um, I run a 36 on my hardtail because, you know. Because you're 1 by 10. Because I'm 1 by 10, and I want that top end. And my 3611 is only 25.5. So, I mean, I'm only going half a mile an hour faster than you. And I've done my hardest intervals on my mountain bike on the 3611 and I've only been a tiny bit spun out um so I guess what we're what we're really getting at in all of this is I mean you're you're probably going to have a good time if you go X1 and from what Kenny just said maybe let me go back to my question to Kenny you don't see any advantage to dropping like the X01 rear derailleur in or the XX1 rear derailleur like is there a no. weight, a big weight difference. or something? I haven't used them enough side by side, like the the cheapest derailleur versus the highest end derailleur, for example. Just holding in my hand and looking at them and everything, I don't see 
a huge difference between the two. It's like a 10 or 20 gram difference between the two. I think you're paying for some like expensive ceramic pulleys on the XX1, which you really probably don't need on a mountain bike anyway. Uh, there's a lot of things that I, that I think the X01 does right. As a whole grupo, it definitely, you know, those grams start to add up, but it's, it's a pretty small difference. I'll bet you the crank set, even the nicest aluminum one versus the carbon XX1, which is just an XO crank, um, that's probably where the biggest difference is. That and the cassette. Everything else is so tiny. I say everything else. There's just a, what's left. A shifter, a derailleur. Chain. And a chain. Yeah, and the chain is cheaper. I, I don't know. It, it's not as nickel-plated and as fancy That looking. chain, like my first XX1 chain, lasted forever. I cannot I replaced understand. it. I replaced it. I got it before. Remember when Stanky Creek was the state championship race more than a year ago? Yeah. I got my XX1 just before that. I replaced that chain just before I left for Colorado. And that was, it was at like 0.39. It was not even 0.4, but I knew I was going to ride a hundred and, yeah, I mean just hundreds of miles on it while I was out of town, so I went ahead and replaced it. So if anybody's out there, just trust me. If you have a 1x10 setup. It's magical, just like use Extreme that chain. Lube. Like, I don't understand. That goes on our magical products list. I don't understand how it does what it does. I've used every chain from every manufacturer, I assure you. And those stinking XX1 chains last damn near twice as long. Like, I don't I don't get it. It doesn't make any logical he sense. He can't even. I don't Can he, I, I just, he I just can't even. Mind is blown. But regardless, it shifts well, even on Shimano stuff and blah, blah, blah. It works fine. Even though it's an 11-speed chain, it'll work on your 10-speed stuff, so don't be scared. Um, yeah, go buy one. They're pretty awesome. SRAM makes good stuff every once in a while. Uh, are we done? Um, I was gonna, I was gonna tell you my experience with the porcupine before we sign off. Um, what do you want this right now? Because I can't talk and write. Um, so in the middle of the night, Friday night, after I'd been riding bikes and paddling and running and all that bushwhacking and all that, and it's like one in the morning, we're going down this forest road that's pretty narrow and like out in the middle of nowhere. And I come up over this little rise in the road, and there's this two-and-a-half-foot-tall, gigantic, round thing, like, waddles out in front of me. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's the most gigantic armadillo in the world. <laughs> like, it looked like a 70-pound armadillo, and I was briefly terrified. But then it, it kept waddling across the road, and I realized it was a porcupine. Damn. Yeah. I'm, I don't think I've ever seen a porcupine outside of like you the know, zoo or something, like a science class or a zoo. Yeah. There. It was. It was. It looked. I don't even. They're probably not that big, but it looked gigantic because I because I thought it was an armadillo, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, it's a mutant. It's Satan's pet armadillo. So do they walk around like they're just boss because nothing messes with them? Or are they kind this of skittish? One was, I mean, it was running... A, it was in the road, and as I came over the hill, it didn't want to be around me and ran off to the other side of the road to the woods. Okay. Or waddled off. Like, it wasn't really fast, but it got out of the way. Mm-hmm. I was in no danger of hitting it, um, and I, I would have done everything in my power to not hit it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that was that was my fun port. And then a few minutes later, I saw a flying squirrel, which I thought was bat. But then it was a flying squirrel. Uh, okay, well, that well, I wasn't. Is... I wasn't like speeding you up. I oh, I thought like, you were trying to speed me. No, up. I was like cussing at my computer with my hand because I clicked on something and nothing was happening. Okay, well, do you do you have anything else to say, or do you, uh, or are we done? I ain't say none. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. All right. Do well, you in? done. Everyone, uh, go and don't forget your scroll guards next weekend. Good night.